0: It was strange in that what I didn't expect was the Vietnamese... I always said I was a soldier, and uh, the Vietnamese just embraced us. I met a former NVA, and I told them what I was, and he smiled and put his arms around me.
1: With Tesla Government's Knowledge Management Solutions, you are adding a strategic partner that helps unleash the full power and potential of your institutional information. Let us unpack your data and put your knowledge to work. Learn more at teslagov.com.
2: Hi, and welcome to the 1CA podcast. I'm your host, John McElligot. Our guest today is Paul Giannone. He retired from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in 2014, having worked in international and domestic public health and emergency response for over 40 years, covering more than 35 countries. In 2017, Paul and his wife, Kate, fulfilled a dream by moving back to Hillsborough, North Carolina. Their daughter is attending Emory University, and like her dad, received a Master of Public Health degree. The Janonis enjoy the small-town atmosphere of Hillsborough, as well as the cultural and recreational events in nearby Durham, Chapel Hill, and Raleigh. They enjoy golfing, gourmet cooking, North Carolina beaches, travel, and reading. What Paul cherishes most is being with Kate, Kara, and many friends he has collected throughout the world. He is famous for saying, quote, I never give up on my friends. Paul Giannone, welcome to the 1CA podcast.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much.
2: I'm so glad that we are uh, having this conversation. We wanted to talk about your connection to civil affairs, how this started in Vietnam. And we also want to go into your career as a public health official, Um, your experience working with nonprofit and NGO organizations and the connections between those organizations and what you've done throughout your career and CA forces. I want to start by asking you about Vietnam. You served, I believe, in Vietnam alongside or with Civil Affairs Forces. Could you describe that experience, Um, maybe go into more detail about what you were doing and what the mission of CA forces near you, uh, what they were focused on?
0: I arrived in Vietnam in uh, April of 1969 as a combat medic. When I looked at my uh, where I was going to be and what unit I was gonna be with, it said twenty ninth civil affairs or no, excuse me, it said twenty ninth CA and um, I, I I thought I'm a dead man. I thought CA meant combat assault. And so I went up to Denae to, to check into the CA unit, and the sergeant had greeted me, I told him that, and he just laughed, he said, you're a lucky medic, you're, you're in a civil affairs unit. From there, you know, I went down to Hoi An. I spent my first year in Hoi An. The trouble in those days, and I don't know if it's improved, the, the Army just didn't know what to do with us, really. They were trying to shoot people, we're trying to save them, it was kind of, you know, and uh, it it was sort of, my platoon was sort of like, make it up as it goes along, more than a mission. It was very vague. The platoons in in I-Corps were often, you had, like, you got an officer in charge, a lieutenant,
2: So, could you describe uh, Da Nang or or Hanoi for people who may have never been to Vietnam? Were they are they are they big cities? Were you amongst uh, uh, people? Um, Hoi An was uh, uh, is a fairly big city. It was one of
0: the oldest ports in Vietnam. Then it was kind of. Uh, you know we had a I was attached to MACV military assistance command vietnam we had a compound we were surrounded by bunkers and and uh, barbed wire we got mortar attacks every once in a while but they were mostly aiming towards province headquarters and which was right next to us so they were bad shots they never really hit us today Hoi An, ironically, is one of the most places to visit in Vietnam and all of Asia. They've transformed the city into a, uh, it's almost like mystical. Um, There's a a river Quay and uh, the businesses around uh, each along this Quay are
2: Um, something I think a lot of people who have been to Iraq and Afghanistan for this the last uh, 15 or more years most likely have not experienced going back as a tourist. Um, yeah. So was that a strange feeling the first time you went back to do some other work and you acted sort of like a tourist in Vietnam?
0: It was strange in that what I didn't expect was the Vietnam I always said I was a soldier here and uh, the Vietnamese just embraced us I met a former NVA and I told him that what I was and he smiled and put his arms around me and so that's the one expected thing the other thing is I was stationed uh, CDC sent me to Hanoi the northern, northern capital uh, for five months and um, it's interesting in that uh, it's become very capitalistic. It's uh, when you think, I always thought, well, communism, it's going to be, uh, it, they're not going to do much of anything. But really, today, it's a
2: very capitalistic society. I mean, the Vietnamese are some of the best businessmen in the world. Uh, there's a lot of modern plants on the road from the airport to the city. Uh, you can't go down the street without running into an ATM. You know, there's high-end department stores and things like that. So it's really changed, and they're becoming a powerhouse in all of Southeast Asia. Interesting. Okay. And so you talked about how um, you were an Army medic, you were a combat medic, assigned to the 29th CA, but you're, you they also had people doing economics and public health work. Was it your time in Vietnam that sparked your interest in humanitarian operations? Yeah, you know, uh, because I would have never...
0: Uh, marry, a, marry me. We got married in Awaz, Iran. And uh, we got evacuated out four months later because the Shah fell. So my first experience was to get back in a war zone.
1: Yeah,
2: not great timing. Wow. Um, so you, you went on to get your undergraduate master's degrees in public health. The first assignment as a civilian was Iran, uh, short-lived and I think the listeners of this podcast know how civil affairs forces are connected to humanitarian organizations. Uh, We often do that during conflicts and to assist with international emergency response efforts throughout the year. Why do you know uh, CA forces should better understand humanitarian operations and the capabilities of government and NGO partners, for example, who are working in the CA unit's area of operations? Why does that matter? Okay,
0: my first very strong advice. And Americans have a hard time with this. You're an advisor. You can only make recommendations. It should be your counterparts who start the projects. You have to leave your ego at the door. You cannot go in and start giving brilliant uh, answers to things that have already they've already tried. So the first thing you need to do is keep your mouth shut and and observe. If you have the, if you have the, the time, you, you should not say anything for at least a month. Just soak it all in. Now, important documents that CA advisors should carry with them, almost Bibles, is the Sphere Manual, the WHO International Humanitarian Regulations, and USAID's Field Operation Guide. The FOG, as they call it, Uh, the CA advisor should know the organizations and mission of the following. The UN, especially WHO, UNHCR, World Food Program, and UNICEF. USAID, which is our form of uh, development project, especially the Office of U.S. Foreign Disaster Assistance, called OFTA the major non-government agencies. The problem here is there's too many of them. Disaster response became big business, and there was hardly any NGOs when I was in Vietnam during the war. Now, there's, at last count, there was about 8,000 NGOs. Wow. And the people they hire, it really depends on, often some of them have very loose criteria to hire somebody need that if it's a large-scale operation there's always a morning and afternoon me, and maybe the CA should look at this, is the transition period. It's the end of a disaster, uh, it's time to hand the things over, all the work they were doing over to the local government. But this is often done very, very poorly. And often local governments get mad at the people because they're pulling out. So this could be something that the CA could focus on. Also, again, your strengths are medical, you know, working with uh, different faces of a government that's been, been attacked. Those are the things you
2: should see on. Folks, you've been listening to a 1CA podcast interview with Paul Giannone. When we come back, we'll speak with Paul about his career in public health, what he's done with the CDC and other organizations, and also ask him about his thoughts about civil affairs, forces, and the role of American engagement in the world. We'll be right back.
1: Everywhere you look, there's a barrage of emails and information telling you what everybody has done, is doing, or plans to do, all in excruciating detail. But access is only half the battle. You also need information presented in a usable form. But that takes work, and the more information you have, the more work it takes. Tesla government takes on these issues so that your office or agency can fully exploit the data you already have. Our knowledge management experts organize and curate your internal data. Our open source research augments your knowledge base with strategic insights from our globally experienced team. And our data visualization turns complex data into compelling visuals, while our community building makes sure everyone benefits by leveraging collective knowledge. with Tesla government's knowledge management solutions, you are adding a strategic partner that helps unleash the full power and potential of your institutional information. Let us unpack your data and put your knowledge to work. Learn more at teslagov.com.
2: Welcome back to the 1CA Podcast. Our guest today is Paul Giannone. Paul, I wanted to pick up on our previous conversation to delve more deeply into your career in public health. Um, I'm also somebody who's who has a master's of public health degree and focused on policy and management, so I get where you're coming from. But for listeners, public health is very broad. In which areas did you specialize throughout your career? Uh, good question. And all in throughout my career, the work I was doing was nothing more than
0: what civil affairs should be doing, actually. But, you know, my main focus for a while was refugees, uh, refugee camps, refugee camp management. Uh, I often had a senior position in a refugee camp, or I just served as an extra pair of hands for those that needed it. For care, I, I wrote numerous disaster response plans and conducted evaluations for country-level staff. I evaluated care response to a tsunami and earthquake in India. At CDC, I wrote pandemic flu plans for Laos, Cambodia, Thailand, and Vietnam. I also developed a U.S.-funded emergency operations center for the Ministry of Health in Thailand and Vietnam. But that's only a part of what I did. I had a very busy life. And with disease control, for instance. I, in, in Iran, before I got kicked out, I, uh, I was the only American on an all-Iranian team studying schistosomiasis, a snail-borne disease, and trying to eradicate it. When I was with uh, Family Health International, I was doing AIDS control in uh, Thailand and in Vietnam. When I was with Family Health International, I monitored and coordinated female contraceptive studies in Kenya, Uganda, Ethiopia, Sudan, and Egypt. At CARE, I developed a landmine training module. We developed a booklet. When I say we, my my partner in all this was a guy named Bob McPherson. He's a former Marine colonel. And we developed a booklet to help people avoid landmines. And um, we went to numerous countries throughout Africa and Asia teaching this. Uh, the book was unique. And so the UN actually adopted it as their book for a long period of time. So, you know, it, there's a lot of things I did. There's a lot of people who are interested in public health. There's It's, it's an enormous uh, career kind of uh, venture. And the thing is, especially with... Uh, Emergency response, there's always a job. And what's going on with COVID right now is, uh, is an example. I mean, you always can find work once you get your
2: foot in the door. That's good advice. Thank you. So, you spent so many years at the CDC, uh, full name is Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And you also worked at NGOs that you mentioned, CARE, American Red Cross, Family Health International, and many others. So, throughout that career, public health career especially, When did you work with CE Forces and and how did it go?
0: Well, number one, I was a civil affairs advisor in Vietnam and it it was a great experience for me. A little frustrating at first because I didn't have any training. I had to make it up as I went along, but it really drove me for, uh, you know, I had no idea what I wanted to be when I got out of high school. And so this really drove me into education and a career. When I was in Albania during the Kosovo works, I was helping manage a uh, refugee camp uh, in the southern, southern Albania. And um, there was a CA detachment there, and they helped coordinate activities of all the components of the refugee camp. Because, you know, usually in a refugee camp, you have one NGO, the management they manage the camp. Then there's one who co- covers water and sanitation. Another one covers food distribution. Another one uh, covers communications.
2: So they sort of sort of uh, orchestrated h- how we work together. It worked out very well. Paul, you've been around the world. You've seen and smelled and felt living conditions in so many countries. What do you think broadly about civil affairs forces as a tool for American engagement with the world?
0: I think it's a wonderful tool. I think it should be one of the first units sent in when there's a disaster, a war, um, you know, even uh, unrest. The thing is, is what is important for the military is we're always going to be seen as like an invading army. And that's not true. That's not what we are. And so having a civil affairs unit in a country sh- shows a, another very important face of what the U.S. military can do.
2: A lot of CA forces now are, are called uh, warrior diplomats. Do you think that's an apt term? Yes. I have a, a paper uh, that was in a, a newspaper, I think, that was called the Civil Affairs, uh, the Peace Corps with Rifles. I saved that to show my Peace Corps friends mostly to irritate them. But then, <laughs> <you know. laughs> nice move. <laughs> Paul, I wanted to ask you about... Um, the level of engagement, global engagements. And I understand that each U.S. president and every Congress faces arguments both ways. So to either pull away from global engagement or arguments for greater engagement. When you look at the strategic level, you've you've been a guy on the ground in Vietnam, but also working at high levels in the CDC. When you look at that higher level, there are huge cost trade-offs to consider one way or the other. 2020 brought a highly contagious SARS-CoV-2 virus that caused the uh, COVID-19 disease, which killed many people. So in light of this pandemic that in, we're in the midst of right now, how large or small role do you think the U.S. should be playing on this global stage?
0: I think it should play a large role. Uh, of course, I'm prejudiced. I wasn't CA advisor, but the thing is, is you know, this is things that the, the CA team should have a very good to help out in the, in, the, in the response, certainly medical, certainly transportation, certainly communications, or even, like
2: I did in many places, just a set of hands. And that gives a visual of the Army in a very different light. I don't really think that the CA needs to be just in international. I think in domestic issues it could be very, very helpful. So, uh, you know, uh, it's an important thing for the Army. It's an important thing for the country. Paul, I wanted to ask you another question about guidance for CA forces who are listening, or let me ask you, yeah, first about guidance for CA forces, but then a question about interagency and NGO partners who are listening. So you've talked about important readings and manuals that – CA forces should be having uh, carrying around with them, having their back pocket or, or carrying their Humvee wherever they go. And the organizations that they should get to know, most of these organizations are either in the D.C. area with their headquarters or operating overseas, but CA forces are spread throughout the United States, especially on the reserve side. Most of the active duty are concentrated in North Carolina. How would you say CA forces get better acquainted with the humanitarian operators, with the NGO partners? Are there conferences that in a normal time would be operating? Do we find people online? How do we connect with them to learn more? There are conferences that you maybe should attend. Maybe you should write a paper for it if you can and get it presented. There, And I'm trying to think of the name. There's a, in, in D.C., there's a, a, a group that represents all the NGOs in America. You should try to find that, these people out and go to any meeting they have. Okay. And, um, and that you know that would start to get your foot in the door. I mean, they can't see you. They, they see us right now as something that's a threat. So that's not good. And what you what they should see us as as a, a a very positive contribution. Yeah. And what advice would you have for the interagency or NGO or humanitarian operators listening about their ways to engage with CA forces? Um, it's, it's fairly simple. The team leader and maybe the second should be invited to any meetings that they're having. Uh, they, uh, that NGOs in the field should maybe negotiate to
0: see where the CA could actually help out and also to see where it would be redundant for them to be in. So it, it's, it's, you've got to get to know people. And once you get to know them, I think you, you're going to have a fun tour.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Share a coffee, uh, have a meal, um, yeah, get exactly. to know each other. Exactly. Great advice, Paul. Thank you. I want to um, leave this conversation by telling the listeners about your memoir, which is called Life in Dark Places, a memoir. This was published by Torch Flame Books, and it's available on Amazon. The summary of the book on Amazon says, At its heart, a life in dark places is an adventure story. Its heroes, the men and women who have risked their lives to minister to the vulnerable. Paul writes masterfully about what he has seen and experienced with a keen eye for detail and a leavening of humor. The author has found himself a participant in some of the most dramatic and horrific events of the past half-century, America's defeat in Vietnam, and the subsequent boat people crisis, the fall of the Shah of Iran, the unspeakable acts committed by violent groups in sub-Saharan Africa, the tension along the Pakistan-Afghan border following 9-11, the flood of refugees unleashed by the war in Syria. A Life in Dark Places is more than a memoir of one man's journey and evolution. It is a wake-up call to America and its citizens. For more information about Paul, go to his website paulgenoni.com. That's P-A-U-L-G-I-A-N-N-O-N-E.com. Paul, thank you very much for being on the 1CA podcast.
0: It was an honor. I really respect the civil affairs groups. Thank you for your service.
3: Check out the Civil Affairs Call for Issue papers. The deadline to submit a paper is August 28th. Civil Affairs can find better integration as a force for influence, collaboration, and competition for convergent threats and challenges for multi-domain and information operations, now called joint all-domain operations. As the nation's warrior diplomats, The CA Corps must modernize especially for gray zone competition and foster a learning organization. It must reinforce supported command understanding of CA Corps competencies and capabilities at tactical and operational levels. It must seize opportunities to be a greater force for influence through national strategic initiatives like the Stabilization Assistance Review and the Global Engagement Center. And it must help build an industrial base in applied social sciences and related technologies. The Civil Affairs Association and its partners invite civil military professionals to submit originally written issue papers. The deadline is August 28th. For more information, including paper guidelines, visit Affairs all one word, assoc.org.
2: Thank you for spending some time with us. Please subscribe and come back for another installment of One CA.
0: Until then, be safe and secure the victory.